you know, in high schools, it's so much more difficult, but in, you know, if ideally in an ideal world, you would be able to do a flip-flop where the principal comes and you take kid, right? Because I can tell you as a kid who spent an inordinate amount of time in a principal's office in middle school and high school, I got pretty close to that assistant principal. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was actually seeking co-regulation from that person. And they didn't give us candy back then. They just talked to us. to Resilience Conversations. I'm Carmen Zeisler, and I am so glad to be here with you today. Today, I get to turn the turn the microphones on with my good friends and colleagues, Katie Perez and Rebecca Lewis-Pancratz, as we're going to have, I'm just going to interview them. We're just going to have a conversation around restorative discipline. So this is a topic that we have been working on for a long time and have had lots of conversations with schools around and we just we want to just dig in a little bit more with this topic with you on the podcast today. So as always we start off with a check-in. And so the check-in that we like to use is are you mad, sad, glad or afraid today and what's that mostly about? So Rebecca, are you okay to check in first this morning? Oh my goodness. I would love to Carmen. I just am so glad that we're having this conversation today. I feel like we do a lot of work around this, but we really haven't dug into, you know, our understanding and curiosity around punishment versus discipline and restorative approaches. So I'm super glad. Sad or afraid, man, I had a a kiddo that left home. My 20 year old is now out on his own. And so I am just living with lots of sad and afraid. And um, also some wonder as I watch him really meet some challenges that are coming up. And so sad, afraid and glad is all wrapped up in there. Mad. I don't think I have any mad or ticked off today. I woke up and there were no dirty dishes in my sink. And so that's like a thing for me. And so I'm just like going to ride that, that wave of hallelujah. Hmm. Thanks, Rebecca. Rebecca. Thanks. Katie. Well, I've got some sad. I have a cold and I hate being sick. So it's just not fun waking up and just all sore throat and a cough and a sniff and then putting in earbuds and you can hear it (laughs) every single little noise you make. So a little sad about that. You know, I think otherwise, I think I'm pretty glad I get to go over to our learning center today and play the neuro resilience game Thrive or Survive with the kiddos over there as I help Megan learn how to play the game with a school that she's going to go to. And so I'm kind of excited to, to hang out with the kids for a little bit. And I don't know talk about our brains. So glad. <laughs> Thanks, Katie. Well, gosh, I'm checking in as glad we, I just turned in my last project for my master's certificate that I've been working on. And, and then I head into the practicum. So I feel 
I feel really glad about yeah. that. It's been a class that has really pushed me this semester. And I'm now, right now, I'm super grateful for all that pushing <laughs> that the professor has done and just the cohort has done. I'm a little afraid. I have a big doctor's appointment today and just hoping some blood work numbers come back the way that I think they will. And, and also, you know, just, just figuring out health issues is just always a little afraid there around that for me. But also I feel really glad too, that I have the opportunity to be able to figure them out. Mad, I'm not feeling any mad, sad. I'm feeling a little sad. My, my nephew, he's in middle school and he's just struggling. And he was over at the house last night and Normally my dogs are kind of like therapy dogs for him, but he didn't want anything to do with them last night. He just was just sitting in a sad and afraid and mad. And so I'm just really hoping he has a really good day at school today and that we can figure out, figure out some solutions because as a seventh grader, we can't say we don't want to do school anymore. <laughs> it's a little scary. <laughs> a little scary. It's my daily life. So that that is where I that is where I am today. Carmen, um, all right. Well, I just want to start us off in the conversation today with punishment versus discipline. Rebecca, can you just kind of kind of summarize that idea that you talk about so well of what is punishment versus discipline? Carmen, yeah, it's a big conversation. And I think context for the American people is always helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, we have been on what many identify as kind of this grand experiment with punishment in our country. And in 1973, you know, I always ask people, how many prisons did we have? And, or how many people were in prison? And folks are like, it's, you know, 270,000. There were social scientists that actually were kind of stepping back going, you know, is prison the best way for us to deal with malfeasance? Because people seem to come out of there worse. And in 2019, we had 2.7 million people in prison. In the United States. So we are the most incarcerated population on the planet. And to give people kind of more context, we have 4% of the world's population, but we house 20% of the world's prisoners. And, and so like, just kind of understanding that punishment is really about something happened. And we are going to inflict more pain and separation and isolation, so that you hopefully learn to do something different. And There's been people who've been working on mass incarceration for several years now, and I think we're making some really good headway in our country because in 2019, it was 2.7 million, and I've been digging into more research, and we are actually now down to 1.8 million people incarcerated in the United States. So this work, this trauma-informed movement and the work of restorative justice, we're making an impact, right? The hardest part to get through is kind of the mindsets associated with punishment. And people don't punish because they want to harm people. People punish because they want to be safer. Mm -hmm. And so I think when you're talking about schools, it's really important to have this bigger conversation around, you know, what is punishment getting us Mm -hmm. and what is it costing us? And is it effective? And when we talk about the effectiveness, we know that 66% of the folks that get released from the penitentiary today will be back within one year. And that's really not a good return on investment. And so I think most of us would be like, oh, punishment, you know, if we, if we got the desired outcome from it, 
most people would sign on with the uncomfortable reality that it it is using pain to deal with pain that's already happened. And so for schools to understand, there is something called a school to prison pipeline. There's, you know, we're not saying it's causation, but there's definitely correlation between some of the zero tolerance stuff that we've worked through since the early 2000, late 1990s, that has a direct um, link to how many of those kids are ending up incarcerated later. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so that gives folks, you know, kind of a place to start looking for where's the research, what does the research tell us? Where's the data? Right. Because this is a big conversation. And when you get into schools, the things that schools have to wrestle with is that punishment is fast. It checks a box. And unless it's your kid receiving the punishment, society's pretty, pretty okay with it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it doesn't for our kids who have a lot of aces, a lot of you know trauma in their background, lack of support systems, lack of the resources they need for their Maslow's, it typically tends to make them worse. And so we just up the ante on the punishment. And so when we kind of help people break this down, well, what is the difference between discipline versus punishment? You know, punishment has kind of the, the core anatomy of that is threat, isolation, and shame. You know, whatever you're doing with a kid, in a school, the way you're doing it matters. Are you taking away recess? Are you given an in-school suspension? And is the way you're doing it, does it have threat, isolation, and shame involved for the student? You can use the same type of consequence in a trauma-informed way, in a restorative way, and you'll know when that's happening because you've got safety, belonging, and dignity as kind of your core anatomy of your approach. So Carmen, that's a lot of words. I'll shut up. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that, Rebecca. So Katie, when we think about the idea of, you know, we've kind of been talking about transforming discipline. What does that, what does that mean for you? Hmm. Transforming discipline? Well, I use transforming discipline because really what I mean is transforming punishment, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't want to lead with that. So when I talk about transforming discipline, what I'm thinking about is kind of what Rebecca ended with there, that we can use a lot of the same consequences in a trauma-informed way. And so what does that actually look like? If we have a situation with a kid, there's, there's always going to be a natural consequence. But what does our investment in that consequence look like? Because most mm -hmm. of the time, the punishment is taking away connection, taking away belonging to the community, taking away a safety issue for the kid, right? If you think about it, a lot of, a lot of places we, we put kids in an ISS room alone. How is that a how is that a safe place for kids to be isolated and alone? And so putting the onus back on the educator, and saying this isn't about time outs for kids. This is about time in. If you are at school to teach, then everything we do must be an educational opportunity. And that includes consequences. So transforming discipline has to do with taking back to that root word of discipline, which is to teach, to instruct, to bring about order through instruction. Mm. Thanks, Katie. So can you guys give a, give us some examples? You know, you say that taking away recess could be a trauma-informed restorative approach, a discipline. What, what does it look like if it is? You know, I think that, Carmen, first of all, one of the things that we have to get comfortable with or uncomfortable with is this idea that 
transforming discipline takes more time up front mm-hmm, for sure. And so like really getting curious around, you know, why was a kid using that defense system? What was going on? And so we're kind of activating voice with the student and we're asking questions and making sure the student is regulated before mm-hmm. we say, Hey, mm-hmm. okay. I think part of this is taking away recess and there's multiple options on the table. But if you think about safety, belonging and dignity, it really is okay, we've understood, you know, we understand you've, we've got you regulated, you acted, you shared your voice with us about, you know, what was happening when you behaved the way you did. And now it's time for consequences. And so today you're going to lose recess and you got some options. You can come in the room and sit quietly at your desk with your head down and just kind of unplug for a little bit, or you can sit by my desk. You can work on some, you know, different assignments, or if I'm, you know, at recess duty, you're going to walk with me during recess. We'll just walk, we'll just walk and talk. And so those are some, like, there's still a safe supportive adult attached to the consequence with the kid, but they're still losing time and freedom (laughs) to go and play and do what they want. Right. Katie, what else would you add? Well, and I think sometimes it's what, what are the natural consequences in life? Right. I mean, there you're, you're going to, this happened to you in class, this event happened because you were mad, sad, or afraid and your work didn't get done as a result. Your work still needs to get done. And so I don't think necessarily of the recess always as being this opportunity just to take away time from a kid but for them to also follow through with the other commitments they have. Mm -hmm. And so it might be during math, you missed this. And so you do need to get your work done still. And the best opportunity during our day for that is one of your recesses. So if you're regulated and we've checked in and we've done that, here's the opportunity for you to come back into commitment and integrity with the responsibilities you have at school. It's not about missing recess and standing on a fence because you were bad and you're being shamed. It's you didn't fulfill a commitment that you have as a student. And so here's an opportunity for you to do this thing that you need to do because it's part of your responsibility. And so I think part of it's that too. When would the natural consequence of me missing something at work happen on my free time? Right. I might have to shift my day around. I might have other obligations. I have to then change up to come back into integrity with my position. And I think that's what we miss in school so many times is that then the kid has more, it piles up. So you missed this and then you missed recess and you're still behind in class and then you're still, and now the kid has 15 late assignments because they've been punished so many times and nobody gave them the set, sit down time to work and come back into integrity. So how do we find those opportunities within the consequences as well? How does this work, though, in middle school, high school? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, so, you know, a lot of teachers are teaching seven, eight periods a day. They're, most of the middle school, high schools that I know don't have a recess time. Maybe they have a passing period. How, how does how do these conversations happen inside of a middle school, high school? I, you know, that's the world where my brain just naturally lives. And I think we have to honor that there are some real challenges in, in just the way it's all set up when you get to secondary. And I think that, you know, instruction and learning and teaching, like Katie, I really appreciate what you said, because so often we've got big behaviors because kids aren't 
able to figure out how to be in integrity with right. math or with English or with writing, or they hate it. They're, you know, doing anything to kind of create a scenario where they can get out of it. And people will look at that as manipulation as, you know, they're just lazy. They don't want all the things. Right. But typically it's like, I'm always like, well, well can we figure out what is getting in that kid's way? Right. Yeah. And that's some rock green stuff. Right. And so Carmen, I don't feel like there's necessarily, I feel like in middle school, if kids are falling behind, we start to just use a grading system mm-hmm. to hopefully motivate. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we've created enough space for educators to really look at grades and also look at a student's life or profile and figure out, you know, what is the disconnect here? What's happening? What what are we missing that could help this kid be successful and understand that they are powerful and capable of whatever mm-hmm. task is in front of them with the right supports. So, but for behavior in a middle school or high school, you do have to keep the community safe and people do need to have consequences when they are using defense systems to show up to the school environment. And I think detentions before school and after school are still, you know, can be done in a very trauma-informed way. We, you know, we don't have to abandon detention and also, you know, really working as a staff in school community to figure out what is a trauma-informed ISS room mm-hmm. and, you know, making sure that inside of that trauma-informed ISS room is a person, not multiple people floating in and out of the room, but a person that is a safe person that also is the accountability person. And so you got ISS for three days for vaping. Let's just use that one because it's happening all over, right? Mm -hmm. That ISS person welcomes you. There's a restorative conversation and circle around, you know, what happened and, you know, safety at school and the commitments we make in society, all the things, right? And then there's also teachers that are funneling work in for a kid. And that person is helping that student stay up on their work. So. You know, that's an example of using the systems we already have, but changing the way we show up inside of those systems to help kids be successful and to learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Rebecca, there's a a school in Nashville that is using, you know, when students are suspended or 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 have ISS, really, it's around their ISS room is those students come into that room from seven to nine every day. And they're just doing, really, they're just circling up mm-hmm. and just having some conversations around what happened. And every student is bringing a different, you know, a different situation to the circle, but they're unpacking all of them and helping each other figure things out. And so it's not just the the teacher that's helping, it's the rest of the students that are also struggling that. that is helping each of their, each of their their classmates to figure things out. I just, I see that as just really just a beautiful way to look at an ISS room. I love that. I was also thinking as Rebecca was talking about the length of time that someone spends in ISS at the middle school and high school level. And is it necessary that a kid, let's say something happens in second hour and during second hour, there's a behavior. The conditions that exist in second hour might not exist in third. So is it that the ISS period is time in second hour, right? And that 
we go to a different teacher the next hour with different kids, a different group, and we can be successful in there. And so the consequence has been served and I don't need to spend the rest of my day there. I've regulated. I've had a conversation about what went right, what went wrong, where I could do something different, where my defenses came up, right? All of those things. And I go back to the rest of my day instead of having, I think punishment would be, nope, you one and done. You're out for the rest of the day as opposed to let's restore and repair and return, right? That we can return quicker. You know, Katie, and really having deep conversations in our building around how do we, you know, return, restore, right. repair, return, but yes. then also how do we have a restorative circle with the teacher who had to manage all that and the student and a, and a, you know, a person that is there to advocate for both so that we're not just sweeping stuff under the rug and for sure. okay, you learned your lesson and you come back. And so oftentimes, you know, the things that we're, that we're going after in schools, the behaviors that we're seeing, there's something much deeper and underneath. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's part of the, the transforming discipline kind of process that I've been taking teachers through over these past several months. That's really what it looks at is what was the unmet need and the experienced emotion of everyone involved. Right. Mm -hmm. And what I talk to teachers about in this situation is the only person whose emotions you have influence over really is yourself. I mean, somebody else might be mad, sad or afraid, and you might be able to raise energy or lower energy to help people come into balance with one another. But in reality, it's your mad, sad or afraid that you have control over in the moment. And so what are your own defense systems that are coming up when you're selecting a discipline or a punishment and how do we how do we get past that how do we get past the defense systems that we have that are coming up so that we can help a kid with theirs and I think what a lot of people hear in this conversation is kids first and teachers never and that's really not the conversation the conversation is we have to figure out when we see a behavior there's an unmet need and emotion that is being experienced by everyone involved The adult needs to check theirs and figure out, am I the person who can help transform this situation or do I need to check out? And if I can do it, then it's my job to help the student co-regulate the emotions that they're having. And we forget that sometimes and we get in the way. And we're used to this method of punishment. It's what we were all raised with. I watched a really great TikTok the other night. Carmen, I'm wondering if you could put it in the... The notes, maybe if I can find it again, but she was talking about, you know, just the generations of how it wasn't very long ago where it was sit down, kids are seen and not heard and how that would have been my grandparents. That's how my grandparents were raised and my grandparents raised my parents who raised me, who's now raising an 11 year old that we're not very far away in this generation of Let's experience emotions together and use them to guide how we interact with discipline. Katie, yeah, that's the poisonous pedagogy that Alice Miller talks about. And, you know, it is not very, it, we can still, when we peer back over, you know, the shoulders of others, we can still see that writing on the wall. And we still hear, you know, back in my day, Mm -hmm. I saw something, something today is about, you know, we got this today, but back in my day, it was a whooping or something. I mean, like we're still. And that generation is like Gen X, which is 
you. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, right. Yeah. yeah. And so we're still wrestling with this as a society. And I think that when you think about the way the river cruelty flows, we know that cruelty is past. But the more unsafe people feel, the more survival based kind of tactics they'll use to try and create safety. Mm-hmm. And so people who feel unsafe do unsafe things. I mean, we know that, right? And so we have to recognize in schools that a lot of times teachers don't feel safe. And mm-hmm. there's some real stuff that comes up in that. And honestly, you know, using restorative practices before yeah, there's a need for discipline is going to be one of your best ways to use, to do prevention. It's deep, connected relationships of dignity and respect, mutual for teachers, too. Right. And Carmen, that school you're talking about in Nashville, I've been watching them, too. Like, there's some really powerful stuff going on. And one of the things that they do weekly during meetings is they circle up. And, you know, because there's a lot of judgment calls that the adults have to make inside of buildings around kids. And if somebody, you know, kind of violates your judgment call or does something very different with the kid, it's easy to build stories in our heads and sometimes go and recruit other people to jump on that story with us. And there's division and we've got to have these conversations. Like I always tell schools, if you want to start doing restorative practices with kids, but you're not willing to do it with each other, Mm -hmm. like I I just don't think that's going to be sustainable. Right. And I, one of the things that we've been talking a lot about in the class with the cohort that I'm in is circles with staff that are appreciations and apologies, Mm. both and, and, you know, there's some really great examples and I'll link a couple of video from Edutopia in the podcast notes, just examples of showing that like there's a teacher that goes into the middle of the circle and with the, with his whole, the whole staff. And he just says, Hey, I need to talk with you, John. And John comes into the middle and he goes, John, I just want to apologize. My decision that I made real fast, I didn't realize the domino effect that it would have on you and your classes. So I'm really sorry. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. Hmm. Amazing. And I mean, that, that's transforming, that's transforming conflict right then and there. And I feel like as staff, as adults, if we're, if we're really working on transforming the conflict that's happening amongst the adults, which is, I mean, it's going to happen. There's nothing wrong with the conflict, but if we're having conversations around it, rather than like what you said, Rebecca, telling stories in our head, I mean, that's going to filter out to the kids. The kids are going to the kids are going to understand that conflict is okay and that we can have conversations around it. And, and that is good. Carmen, and I think, you know, eventually that kind of stuff goes out into the community with families mm-hmm. because, you know, I, I hear schools a lot. They're like, they're, they, they describe an us, them with parents. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's a safety issue. It's a disconnection issue. It's a, I'm not sure that you understand me issue. And, you know, like when when people go through the river cruelty activity, I think that, you know, it's real easy for folks to kind of start looking at at others. But the idea about the river cruelty is finding a way to let go of our own psychological needs to defend and protect Mm -hmm. and take responsibility for how we're showing up. And my goodness, when you see kids start to do that, Hmm. that's how we empty prisons. Right. 
Yeah. A hundred percent. And adults, we weren't taught this, Carmen. And so like, you know, like if you're listening to this podcast and you're wanting to know how to transform discipline, I mean, you can really start with (laughs) you, but I would also say, you know, working to transform conflict and build safety and connection and understanding in your adult school experience is where you begin. Yeah. A hundred percent. So we, you know, we talk, you know, we've talked about situations inside classrooms, ISS. What about suspension expulsions? Hmm. How can we transform? How can we transform suspensions, expulsions? And I know we have a pod, another podcast out where we talk a bit about this, but just here right now, what are some things that we might be able to just think, look at it a little differently? Katie, I was waiting to see if you're going to jump in first. (laughs) Sometimes I feel with the suspension expulsion conversation, you know, my background is so predominantly elementary that it's a hard one for me because most of the time in my experience, if I could, I can't think of a time that I've worked with a student who's been expelled and suspended. It was usually after we had really invested in trying to do some hard work or it was something that we ran up against and it was a zero tolerance policy and it felt like there wasn't a choice. And so Rebecca, that's kind of what my pause was, was zero tolerance seems to not take into account emotion, individuals, special circumstances, because we always have to be equal. And so I think sometimes suspension and expulsion for me, it gets into conversations about equity And, you know, what's, what are we really saying with suspension and expulsion other than you don't belong? And I got a lot of feelings about it. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I have answers yet for suspension and expulsion, probably because I'm looking through a very narrow lens of elementary, but I hear Rebecca talking about it from a middle school, high school perspective. Sorry to throw you back under the bus there, but that's kind of where my head was. (laughs) And Katie, when you were talking, I was like, thinking about some data that I looked at about basically expulsion from Head Start and how, you Mm -hmm. know, much that's happening and what. That's very true. And that's also another age group that I don't have. You know, when I say elementary, I'm still thinking K-5, you know, not not those preschools. So, yeah. And there's a couple of things I'll say to that. But one is, you know, in April 20th in 1999 is when Columbine happened. And zero tolerance got really mushroomed, like there was a mushroom cloud at that point. And so to understand that the zero tolerance conversation was really a trauma response. Mm, that's big. Is yeah. important for societies. Like we have a safety issue. We're going to double down in order to create more safety. And actually what that did was created less safety. And we just had our friends from the guardian advisory group come and talk to us about the stair steps to violence and really specifically looking at, you know, people that go back into schools and, and, and hurt people. And there's always a grievance that's in the beginning of the stair step to violence. And I think that a lot of times we think, well, you know, you do these things and we will exclude you from the school community. And we don't do the restorative work and maybe we have to exclude somebody because I don't think we can ever say we never suspend, we never, mm-hmm. you know, use expulsion. Right. But what in the world are we doing once we deliver that consequence to promote a, su- a student's sense of safety, belonging and dignity, their family's safety, belonging and dignity? What are we doing with the kid while they're out? Mm-hmm. And how are we bringing them back in? 
And that's where the deeper work. But the other thing is, is I'll tell you, there's a guy, Randy Nelson from Wisconsin, and he was one of the most powerful superintendents I ever met. And he said when he started doing trauma-informed work as a superintendent in La Crosse, Wisconsin had 50,000 humans in it. So I imagine their school system probably had 5,000 kids. And he said, I made up my mind that day to never, ever, ever expel another kid while Mm -hmm. I was in this seat. And he retired with that belief system. There was one kid that brought a weapon to school, he said, in in his time since then. And he worked with that kid's dad in another school to get the kid moved to a new school system. Mm -hmm. And so there is a level of people standing up, just like with racism, just like with other things in our in our history as American people, where people stand up and say, we don't we're not going to tolerate this anymore. This isn't okay. So we have to always understand there's a bigger issue. But when you bring it down to, you know, what about suspension and expulsion? I mean, if we can keep discipline in school and keep kids connected off the streets and in a learning environment where they're staying up on their academics, everybody wins in that picture. Right. Everybody wins in that story. And if we can't keep kids in school, then we need to have processes and practices in place to keep the student connected to the learning community while they're out. And lastly, what I'll say is that we have to get rid of these blanket policies. Mm-hmm. And it is an equity issue, Katie, because the way I would say it's an equity issue is that we have these blanket policies and the adults inside the building. They know certain kids at the secondary level. They know their families. They know their stories. And certain kids get by with stuff because people don't want to use those blanket policies on them. Right. But they'll use them on other kids. Right. And sometimes it's the kids that desperately need the school community the most. For sure. You know, I think about, you know, what the Augusta School District is doing Mm -hmm. with suspensions and expulsions. And, you know, they're partnering with one of our ESDAC learning centers, the Augusta Learning Center. And, you know, so a student is suspended, long-term suspended or expelled. And then that student and their family has the opportunity to work with the Augusta Learning Center to Mm -hmm. keep up on their academics. So just like what you were saying, Rebecca. But I think, which is amazing. I mean, amazing for them to be able to keep up on their academics. But I think the piece for me that has just been the most powerful is a few weeks before it's time for them to go back to school. You know, we gather caregivers, student, assistant principal, counselors, and then the Augusta Learning Center staff. And we sit in a restorative circle. And the student has an opportunity to share where they're at. And then we go around the circle and we talk about the student's strengths. We talk about the strengths that we all have to support the student in this transition. And and we talk about concerns. And then we create some agreements around those concerns. (laughs) And one thing that Matt Ward said, the superintendent, he said in a presentation not that long ago, he goes, you know, Normally, when students are coming back from a a long-term suspension or expulsion, it's hoodie up, head down Mm -hmm. as they're walking in the hallways. And now they're coming back with high fives. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that to me, gosh, I mean, that that is safety, belonging and dignity (laughs) right there. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I mean, that that is an example of one way that a school district is transforming Mm -hmm. discipline. Yeah. And using restorative practices and approaches and truly trauma-informed mindsets of how are we going to help kids? How are we going to help kids? Yeah. And reaching out to the community, you know, because mental health is a part of it. Potentially drug rehabilitation is a part of it. 
as well as, you know, a learning center in town. So like it takes, it takes a lot of people and they're not afraid to reach out. And Carmen, we, because of your vision and understanding, you know, we kind of, as that got brought to the table out of necessity to start working with kids that were suspended or expelled. And then you were a part of creating this beautiful process that immediately showed transformation and changed everybody involved, including parents and caregivers. And now because of that, you have begun launching the ESDAC Restore model with multiple districts across the state of Kansas. And so, you know, if you're listening to this and you're not from Kansas, you need to reach out to Carmen because there is another way, you know, with the science and the evidence that we have from this work, we can change trajectories, especially in some of the lowest points of a student's academic career. Yeah. So reach out. (laughs) Reach out. We'd love to talk with you. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, I I want us to go ahead and just kind of close out this conversation with, this is probably a bigger question to close out the conversation, but we're (laughs) going to do it. One of the things that I hear a lot from educators is a student was sent to the class or to the principal's office and they just got some beef jerky or some, (laughs) a lollipop. Or I just heard recently of a from at a high school that they just get Dunkin', Dunkin' Donuts, and then they they're sent back, and teachers are feel frustrated with that. Yeah. How do we how do we change our mindset on that as educators in the classroom, and then how do we help administrators with communication piece? So both and. Well, I mean, I'm not going to lie. If I find out that I get Duncan for getting in trouble, I'm going to get in trouble every day. No, just kidding. Kind of. <laughs> so for me, it's it's one, stop sending them back with the regulation tools. That's first of all, mm-hmm. right? The lollipop, the beef jerky, the bottle of water, the can of soda, all of those are regulation tools mm-hmm. and should not be blanketly used. So, you know, sometimes after a kid has been extremely dysregulated, we've got to change the blood sugar level, right? We might have crashed. And so the kid needs some sugar to get back up. They might need some water. They might just need to be quiet. So we put a lollipop in their mouth. So they stop talking for a minute, right? There's reasons that we use these tools. So number one, if the kid still has it, the tool hasn't been used yet, which means we haven't got all the way through. So that's one tip for principals. Second one is communicate with your teachers about what was done, right? If, if the teachers are feeling frustrated by this, it means number one, they don't understand the use of the tool. And number two, there isn't communication happening, which means we're not getting to that repair and return level of the practices. Right. And so we're halfway there. We're using some of the strategies, but now we have to go that extra step and make sure we're all on board and understand what is happening and why. I don't know about donuts and coffee, though. (laughs) (laughs) Rebecca, what are your thoughts? I, I, you know, I always think, first of all, when, when it, an educator and let's say you got 50 of them in a building and you're one principal, like, why are you sending the kid out? (laughs) Like, what are you wanting to have happen? Yeah, sure. So like creating some clarity around that. And maybe you don't know, maybe you're just frustrated in that moment and you don't know what else to do. So you send the kid out. And so like, I think that we always want to back up to before the incident, what happened during the incident. And I don't think we're having enough. I think principals are oftentimes they have the firefighter hat on and 
we're not going back to where the fire started and creating mm-hmm. clarity. You know, in high schools, it's so much more difficult, but in, you know, if ideally in an ideal world, you would be able to do a flip-flop where the principal comes and you take kid, right? Because I can tell you as a kid who spent an inordinate amount of time in a principal's office in middle school and high school, I got pretty close to that assistant principal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was actually seeking co-regulation from that person. And they didn't give us candy back then. They just talked to us. Yeah. I mean, he kept a chair in his office for me in high school. <laughs> and he knew, right? He didn't give other kids that chair because I was going to use it at some point or somebody was going to send me there. And it was this revolving door. But, you know, I think the other attachment and attunement that is needed to create safety and to get kids into their learning brain, we don't really create systems where teachers have the, the realm of possibility to even do that. And so, but yeah, the other thing is, is that, you know, principals didn't know this, but it's a, it's an autonomic nervous system hack to give kids things to get their jaws moving, you know, sour candy, all the things. I mean, I always tell people like, try and eat a warhead and be pissed off at the same time. You can't do it. Physiologically can't do it. I mean, there's no way. And so, you know, out of necessity, principals and principals got lots of different things to do. And they really just want to get the kid calmed down and back to class. But Katie, I agree. Jim Sporleader, one of the things that I thought was brilliant that I hear from principals a lot of times too, they'll get close to these kids. They'll get the inside story of these kids' lives. And then they don't want to discipline because they feel so burdened by what's happening in a student's life. Mm -hmm. And then they'll also say things like, well, it really isn't any of the teacher's business. Baloney, like, you know, student, student confidentiality, all the things, but, you know, we're creating this drama triangle at that point. Absolutely. And it is not serving us. Mm -hmm. And so do we need to go and tell the, the teacher all the details? No, but we can have some pretty general conversations. And the other thing I would tell principals is, Regardless of what's happening in a student's life, if they have broken a community rule, once you regulate them, there does have to be some restorative discipline. Kids crave the ability to make things right. And you need to let the teacher know what you did. Jim Sporleader just, there was a teacher box and he had a sheet and he said, you know, met with student and here's what, what the outcome was. So teachers knew like, or they did get a detention or they did go to ISS or they did get, you know, whatever. We're not closing the communication loops. Most of the time, it's always a communication issue. Yeah. Katie and I worked on a little protocol. I don't know. I think it was last year. And we we have, we know several schools that are using it. But if you co-regulate with a student, like, you know, a student is sent out and you're co-regulating one real simple strategy. And again, we know all of this takes time, but it's just to go find that classroom teacher at some point during that day and take a, take a quick walk. And the reason why we say walk is because if we sit down, we're going to talk for 47 hours, (laughs) but if we walk, we're going to, you know, we'll walk for five minutes and have just be able to catch up. And so we'll post that protocol in the, the show notes as well. And walking, like sometimes sending a kid out to like walking deactivates your amygdala. I mean, we know that. It's a body, it's a body strategy, right? And so Jessica Harris's work, I hope that we get to develop that deeper in Kansas because there's so many things in there that understand, you know, it's a, it's a regulation issue and we have to get better at understanding escalation. Yeah. We are talking so much about what's happened once, once, you know, there's already spaghetti on the wall, right? 
And there's a lot of things that can be done before that happens that we're not training teachers on. And so they don't know the signs and they don't know when they see the sign, what they're supposed to do besides get activated themselves because they know something's coming. Right. Oh, that's huge, Rebecca. That's huge. Well, well, friends, gosh, I, there's probably, we could probably keep going on this conversation for a long time, (laughs) but we are going to put a pin in it here. And Katie, Rebecca, just thank you so much for joining us today and just having this conversation and, and friends, we'd love to hear what you have, what your thoughts are on punishment versus discipline on transforming discipline. You can tweet out and just hashtag it resilience conversations. And we would, we can't wait to see your, hear your thoughts and questions and wonderings and curiosities because this, this topic, this is going to take all of us. And so we, we all need to leaning in and, and sharing and sharing the things that we're learning and also the things that you maybe just didn't go that well, but (laughs) but we can still learn from them. So as we like to close all of our resilience conversations, we love you and there's nothing you can do about it. Have a great day. Bye everyone.